Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I am your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter and founder of The Copyworks. In this podcast, I interview marketing and copywriting experts on all facets of, well, marketing and copy, with an emphasis on the link between the two, with a focus on creating higher conversions in your B2B business. I also include recordings from the other side of the table where I'm interviewed by the host of other podcasts and short clips of tips from yours truly on copywriting. In short, you'll find something for everyone in the marketing and copywriting B2B world. Let's dig in. My guest today is Mike Grinberg. He's the founder and CEO of Proof Point Marketing, LLC. As with so many marketers, Mike tells me he pretty much fell into the profession. His original plan was to be a graphic designer and creative director. But after several internships, including one that exposed him to digital marketing back in 2005, he was hooked and never looked back. At this point, Mike says he's pretty much been there and done that with just about every marketing discipline and tactic under the sun. But his strengths lie in tying marketing strategy to business strategy, customer research, and content strategy and distribution. So in today's interview, Mike focuses on relationships, including what are the biggest issues and mistakes he sees in B2B marketing today, and a lot of these are relationship-based. You know, how do you measure the ROI of relationships? Why relationships over revenue? And how do you know whether you're building the right relationships? Let's jump right in. Okay, Mike Grinberg, I'm so excited to talk to you today because the whole thing, I I kept thinking about, you know, how to approach the topic we're going to jump into today. And I feel like it's been, it's one of those things that's kind of come full circle. So before I even get into that, I want to ask you, um, so you've been in digital marketing since 2005. Do you still love it? And if so, what makes you stick with it? What has made you like stay in the business for so long? I actually love the question. So the, the way I generally describe myself is I love problem solving and I just happen to do it through marketing. I don't even like digital, not digital, whatever. It's just marketing. So I, I love it because I get to have you know, conversations like this. I get to talk to a lot of people and I get to help solve problems. It's solving all sorts of interesting problems. I just happen to do it through marketing. I would think too, it's never the same, right? I mean, you have all different, because to stick with something, the same thing, being in the same business or you know niche for so long, there's got to be things that challenge you or you're not going to stick with it, right? So uh, I was just wondering because it's, you know, I was reading off all the different marketing that you've done and it's like, there's so much that you have been into. And so the thing I wanted to jump into today, and why I say I think this has come full circle, is you know back in the day, you would hire a company or you, know, you would talk to your friends about who would you recommend for whatever it is you're looking for. Like I work with a, a manufacturing company, and I do a lot of research as a copywriter. I dive into you know their customers, obviously, and their and and what people say about the business. And not a single person in this group used any social network. Like nothing, not even LinkedIn. A couple of them had a LinkedIn profile, but that was it. And I said, well, how do you, like if, if, you know, this company was no longer in existence, how would you start over? And they all said the same thing. I would pick up the phone, I'd call people. So it's about relationships, but it seems like, you know, in, in a way we've gotten away from that 
especially when COVID hit and we literally just couldn't be in, in that uh, world with everybody else. And so now it's like, it almost seems like a novelty to be in a live event or, you know, being in like that one-on-one kind of situation. And so what can you tell me about the importance of like relationships in marketing? Do you see, do you agree with what I said as far as it just coming, it's almost like relationships 2.0 or something? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think a lot of the same concepts that used to play in the past still play in the sense of you're talking about people saying they'll pick up the phone. Now people, maybe they send a DM or something. So like the medium is different. The concept's still the same. Concept is still that you trust your peers. But I think that's always been there. The difference is you had in the past, it was really that like, it's still your network, right? Like your network still matters. But in the past, your network was, okay, I've got my Rolodex and that's my network. And the bigger the Rolodex, the better to a certain extent. Now the network matters, but your network is much broader, right? I mean, think about LinkedIn, think about communities, think about the fact that a lot of people are remote within organizations. Sometimes that's a barrier, but if you do it right, it actually helps more people get connected even within organizations. I mean... Can't tell you how many times we have clients who are, you know, larger, larger organizations. We're talking thousands of people and they're mostly in office and they don't even know that they have a peer across the pond that does the thing that they need, right? Versus we work with other clients who are very large, but remote environments and they actually know most of the people they work with mm-hmm. somehow, right? Because it just, it's easier. It's both harder and easier to connect with people, I think, in the in a digital first environment. So like, again, going back to your question, I think that the concepts are still the same. I think you still, even back then, you trusted your peers. And I think you still do, but it was harder to get at all the peers you needed to answer all your questions. Because your network was maybe, what, maybe 100 people, something like that. Right. Right. I mean, how big can somebody's role next really be of people that they can call? Even now, if you think about it, there's a lot of people whose numbers I either I don't have, first of all, but that's a different story. Let's assume I even did somehow have their phone numbers. I don't know that I have to come from calling most of them. I don't know them. It's not like I'm a DM on LinkedIn. I mean, I've, emailed, I've messaged literally virtually complete strangers and asked them questions. Like there's been a number of times where I would I heard something on a, on a podcast episode from other agency owners, let's just say, talking about a problem that I am also experiencing. And I go, oh, well, this person has done it. I'll just message them. Right. I've, I've never talked to them before. I'm like, hey, heard you talk about XYZ on your show. I'm sure you're busy, but if you could spare a couple of minutes, like, I'm curious, what did you do about, about this thing in more detail? 99% of the time, they'll respond. That's interesting. That's what I do with you. And we had never spoken. And I had heard you on a podcast or something. And I said, you know, I love the topic. And so, <clears throat> and it's a little scary at first because even though you have, you know, some common ground, or you feel like you, you do or you might, it's still somebody you don't know. And they could just, ignore you. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the, the fear of rejection is always there. I feel like that fear of rejection is, I'm not sure that I, I don't know the psychology behind it per se, but it's definitely less or decreased in the digital environment than it is in this in-person environment. I think that's a, that's a big part of the reason why, you know, online dating took off and stuff. And people were like scared to talk to people in bars and whatnot, but sending you a message over whatever, oh, that's easy. You can do that. Right. Right. What's the worst they could do is just Ghost you, even though you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a good, there's a there's a good and a bad. I mean, I know we're getting probably off topic in terms of kind of societal factors. There, right? I mean, it also is, I think, a big part of the reason why 
people are as divided as they are now because it's, you know, that, that proximity or the absence of that proximity is, I think, stifling to good communication on the flip side too. But yeah, I think there's, again, there's the good and the bad. Yeah, I guess with, with everything, it's like that. There's so much about, like on LinkedIn, for example, I mean, people hit you up all the time, as soon as you connect, and then you have to brace yourself for who's going to pitch me right off the bat without even knowing, because that's been happening to me more and more. You probably get that a lot too. I love your approach though, when you ask a question that you know the person is familiar with. I mean, you're you're putting the ball in their court and if they don't answer you, well, you know, it's not like they reject you. Maybe they just are busier. I don't know. It's just, it's just easier to not take it so personally that I think, you know, <laughs> but um, do you see like a big mistake since you have all this marketing background with different aspects of marketing? Is there a particular issue or mistake that you see in B2B today? I don't know if it's controversial or not. I'm not going to pretend like it's a hot take or say, but I think it's, I have a slightly different opinion than like a lot of people is a lot of the things that are out there right now are just over index for VC funded tech company that creates this insane pressure on top line revenue. And then you hear that's part, a big part of the reason why you hear everybody talking about, oh, you know, marketing should be, should be responsible for revenue. And this thing. I don't disagree with the general concept, right? I do think marketing is a revenue driver. Totally agree with that. But Making revenue be the only and main thing that you so dogmatically focus on, I think is actually a mistake. The framework that we've developed and we like to use is rather than talking about you know sales velocity or revenue velocity, we'll talk about relationship velocity. And that's kind of getting at your question, like where do relationships play in? If you think about, I would say the vast majority of organizations out there, even private equity, or self-funded, they don't operate under the same rules or the same objectives as a VC-funded tech firm does. They're generally more about controlled growth rather than, you know, growth at all costs. I think for that to work, like if you, if you, rather than having a one-year, two-year time horizon that you look at, you're looking at a 10 to 30 year time horizon or something like that, right? You're in this for the long run. I mean, and this is how we think about our own business. You can make very different decisions. Right. And relationships matter that much more. And on top of that, if you think about, I mean, there are a ton of service-based companies out there, right? That's anything from, like pretty much any consulting group out there is a service organization, right? That's, it's lawyers, it's dentists, it's construction, it's consulting groups, it's T firms, et cetera. I mean, there's, I don't know the number, but hundreds of millions of them out there. I mean, it's hundreds of millions, but tons, right? And in those industries, even more specifically, it's even more about relationships. And then you look at other industries like, say, healthcare or not even just outside of consulting, like healthcare and even med device, right? All of those businesses are also very heavily built on relationships. I mean, most med device companies are still kind of this person to person, I'm going to, you know, I'm knocking on doors. It's the salespeople, et cetera. Now it's a lot harder now post-COVID, right? Because they can't get into hospitals anymore. Right. So there's a, there's a new challenge. So how do you do it? It's like, if you stop focusing on that relationship, you're not going to get it. I mean, that's the general concept is I think if you look at the fact that it's about relationships and relationships, it's really about a journey. Like how, when you're building a relationship, you're trying to take somebody 
as both an individual, if you're a salesperson or an EE or whatever, or a brand, an organization, you try to take them from being a complete stranger to being a, a, being a trusted source. Right. That's your goal. And it's no different than if you're trying to develop a friendship with somebody, right? You're trying to take them from, like, you know, you meet somebody in a bar, you meet somebody online or whatever it is at an event. And if you're interested in them, whether that's a, in a romantic way or just in a plutonic way, whatever it is, you're trying to go from being a complete stranger to having it be somebody that you trust and you want to hang out with, et cetera. And it's, it's really no different. The concepts are the same. Right. And that makes sense. It's like, I, I always use the analogy because I know you're a big workout guy. I'm, I used to be a personal trainer for like 20 years. And so I'm always at the gym and I find that if I go to a new gym, because we recently moved here to Arizona and I didn't know anybody, I will spend a lot of time, and I'm an introvert too, so I'm not going to go up to somebody. And it's like the equivalent of going on LinkedIn and just cold pitching somebody. I just, I want to see how people interact. I want to see the lay of the land. And then the people who are there, when you go at the same time, it's like on LinkedIn, when if you post the same time every day, which I don't always do, but you'll see the same people and you'll get in the same, you'll, you'll get to know them that way before you actually approach them. So in a social network, it would be commenting like on LinkedIn so that you know, okay, this person's commenting a lot on my posts. What are they about? And at the gym and on a one-on-one basis, it's like, well, they're here all the time. So then you start saying hi. And then, you know, hey, introduce yourself. And it's almost, it's the same thing, like what you just said, right? Is there a mistake that people, do you think people jump into it too much? Like I, I talked about, they call it pitch slapping, you know, where, oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's interesting you bring up the, you know, the whole moving where we're, we are also new Phoenicians, if you will, but been here a couple of months and my wife and I actually were just talking about this in the car the other day and the same concepts that we employ for the same framework that we employ for our customers plays on the personal level. And what you were talking about is, yeah, people just jump right in. You never walk up to somebody, you walk in a new gym and you say, you know, hey, you want to get married? Like, <laughs> or you want to work out? Are you? Like, yeah. it's the, to a certain extent, it's the same thing, right? Or uh, better, probably a slightly better example in your case, like nobody knows who you are right now, right? Or when you first walked into that gym, let's assume you were still in the personal training space. You would just walk up to somebody and just start telling them, well, you know, you're doing this wrong. and you should actually do this, this, and this. Like, who the hell are you? Like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> right? Like, you never do that. You try to build some sort of relationship first and try to get them to maybe first, maybe see that you're, that you know what you're doing. And then, you know, maybe you bring in a, a friend or a significant other, or whatever, and train them in person. People say, oh, this person does know, they not only do know what they're doing, they know how, they know how to do it. And then, and then when you walk up to somebody, let's just say, and say hey, how's it going? Now maybe they ask, oh, hey, you know, I've, I've seen you around, you're a personal trainer. Oh, so you can, uh, on a personal level, that's how you would approach that. Mm-hmm. And it's really no different on the, like on a B2B marketing side, whether you're doing it as an individual or you're doing it as a brand. And I think, you know, you mentioned comments, but there's, the goal is conversation. And there's like four types of conversation. I think there's, you can try to spark conversation within your target accounts. But on the B2B side, it's how can you create opportunities for multiple people in your target audience to not necessarily talk about you, but talk about subjects that you're an expert in that maybe relate to you. Creating a Slack group or something, would that be that? Yeah, again, it could be a Slack group, but it obviously has to be, that's the the technology behind it. You know, it could be the, the chat 
in a webinar you're running. It could be the chat in a live event you're running. It could be a networking portion of a live event that you're running. It could be your customer advisory board. There's no set playbook here per se. Like this is also somewhere people get lost. I like, go, oh, well, it has to be a Slack group for community. Well, it can be, it doesn't have to be, right? One-to-one conversation, that one's pretty straightforward. And then one to few conversations. And this is where, again, that could be things like ABM and advertising and and events kind of play into that thing as well. But if you think about relationships as a framework, there are five kind of micro decision points mm-hmm. that you're going to have multiple times along the journey. And right? so if you think about, you know, the usual kind of way that people describe the journey, it's, you know, awareness, conservation, decision, loyalty, advocacy. There's a lot of folks that we'll talk about right now, like, oh, that doesn't matter. It's an old concept, et cetera. I will argue that it matters in the way that the journey still exists. You just don't know which stage somebody's at. Mm-hmm. So pretending that you do, that's the, that's the incorrect. But it's a good framework, I think, to understand what's happening rather than to map things to pursue. Right. But within each of those steps, you can have these five micro decision points, which are excitement, which can be exhibited either internally or externally. You can be internally excited like in your head or externally like, oh my God, this is awesome. I and mean, you tap your thoughts about it. There's skepticism, which is going to be internal, like mm-hmm. self-talk, either positive, usually, I mean, negative in this case, since we're talking skepticism. Questioning, which is external. So you're going to go to a friend, a colleague or whatever and be like, hey, you know, I'm not so sure about this. Or, hey, I just experienced this thing. Becoming convinced, that's internal again, right? So you're, you've internally convinced yourself, yep, this is the right thing. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to keep moving forward. And then... Commit it. That's external. Like, hey, team, we're going to pursue this course of action. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it goes again, right? So that you, you have those five, five micro decision points in your awareness stage. And then again, you go back to excitement in the next stage. And it keeps going that way. And if you think about it, I can illustrate that on a personal level. I can illustrate it that for, I mean, any single industry you want to bring up. Mm-hmm. So on a personal level, you're married, right? So if we talk about, you know, at some point you got introduced to your now husband, right? You got excited about it. Like, hey, this is going to be, this guy seems great. And whether that was online, whether that was through a friend. We met online. Actually, it's 1999 when it, no one did that. So we didn't even talk about it for years. <laughs> so oh, there you go, right? So you got excited. Somebody sent a message, you got excited about it, right? Like, oh, wow, this person seems cool. Let's go on a date, et cetera. And then maybe something happens and maybe there were, maybe their fashion style just didn't fit. And you're like, man, this guy seems great, but I don't know. I, want, I don't know if I want to be seen with somebody who looks like that. Or that wears these kind of, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's a silly example, right? <laughs> no, it's not. It's so appropriate. I'll tell you later. So again, so maybe this is, but see what I mean? Right. <laughs> and then, so then day's over and you are having this like ne- potentially negative self-talk. Like, hey, you know, this is great, but I don't know. This is weird, right? Now, maybe he did something, maybe he sent you a text, maybe he sent you flowers, maybe whatever it is that made you realize, you know what, close aside, like, great guy, we're just, we're, worst thing, worst things come to worst, I'm going to at least go on another day, right? Now, let's assume it was really bad, like, I don't know, maybe he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> right? And, you know, and then you, you meet up with a friend for drinks later and you're like, God, you know, I went out with this guy and, but his clothes, I don't know, right? And then at that point, at either of those points, either you tell yourself, yeah, you know what? Not going to happen. Or your friend goes, 
yeah, I don't know, that's weird. And you're like, yeah, forget it. I'm done. Or that your friend goes, convinces you, yeah, you know what? Are you crazy? Like, seems like a great guy. Just, you can fix the clothes later. <laughs> right? And then you get excited. And then you, then you're, now you're committed and then et cetera. And then you get excited again for the next day and it just, just keeps going and going and going. And then you get to wedding day. Everybody gets the, you know, the wedding day jitters, the cold seat, whatever you want to call it. You're going to question it, at least just for a split second. It happened to me. And, but then same thing, right? Most likely by then you're internally going to convince yourself you don't have to talk to All right. Maybe you do. The same thing happens in the B2B, right? You get excited about a problem or solution that maybe somebody can solve. Maybe you saw an ad. Maybe you heard a podcast. Maybe you attended an event and you heard a, a, a talk. Maybe you just heard, you saw somebody talking about the, about the, this company or the, the solution in a, in a community, right? Whatever it is, or in a, in a chat somewhere. And that gets you excited. And then you go and maybe you do, uh, do some research. And then you, again, from there, depending on your priorities and things like that, you're going to evaluate, like, is this worth it? Are there, you know, do they seem trustworthy? You know, things like that. And then you're probably at some point, whether it's at stage one or stage two, whatever it is, you're going to ask your team, like, hey, team, have we heard about, anybody heard of, you know, company XYZ? Now, hopefully by then, you've penetrated the account enough where they say, oh, yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about them. And again, same, same kind of thing. You get down to the decision point, you're about to sign the contract. I don't, I don't care what it is. If you're signing, signing, especially if it's a multi-million dollar deal, right? Whatever. Let's assume you're a med tech company and you're signing a, a contract for, with an engineering firm to develop your next iteration of your product. That's a million dollar project. You're going to be quite like, and they're new, you've never worked on this before. You're going to be going, man, is, am, I, am I really going to stake this next round of funding on, on them? Because that's what you're doing. Right. You're going to question it no matter what. Yeah. Right. So, and it's, it's that thing. So it's, yeah. it's about understanding emotionally, what is your customer going through at each of those micro decision points and how do you create experiences and content and where, right. To combat that specifically, like if we think about what we want to um, influence, mm -hmm. one of the main things is how do you, you know, your effectiveness at getting past that initial internal skepticism. The better you can be at that, the, the faster you're going to build that relationship. So it's all about that relationship philosophy. That's such a great point because to realize that skepticism is a natural part of that decision-making process is super important. And even in copywriting, there's two things that brought to mind what you were saying. One is the switch, which is the fact that everyone is switching from something when they decide to go with you, whether it's from doing nothing, even like if it's a SaaS company, it could be, you know, pen and paper to a digital product. I mean, it could be that or it could be switching from another software, you know, and that's why a lot of these software companies, they have a trial period and they have a you know, seven day free trial. And so this way you can try it. What I do with new clients is I have them do a small, like we'll do a small email sequence. It's typically what I do if they're looking at you know, I want you to do my whole website, but I've never worked with you before. So it's, it's important then what you're saying is to have something in that's lined up to hit, to address each of those decision, those minor like micro decisions so that they don't get stuck there and then they don't do anything. Right. So yeah, that's, um, that's so interesting because it's something that you don't really think about. You're, you know, when you're, marketing your product it's like okay well i have this great product and they're just gonna love it and they're gonna sell. <laughs> it's like there's so many stages before they get there and it's and obviously the bigger the investment the longer these decisions take as well so 
Yeah, 100%. It's interesting you bring that up because I think with products, I would say that's one of the biggest pitfalls I see founders and marketers fall into, which is like, oh, we don't have, a, we don't have competitors. First of all, you do, even if they're not direct. But let's assume you're so innovative that there is nobody else doing that thing. You're totally new to the market. You've created a brand new category. It does not exist. You are still competing against the status quo. I know you and I talked about that initially before we recorded, right? It's that status quo could be anything. They have a solution to this problem already of some sort, right? Now, it might be a really, really awful solution, but it's there and they're kind of skating by, if you will, right? It, it could be pen and paper. It could be spreadsheets. It could be some sort of manual process for pulling data or whatever it is. I mean, it could be a heck, it, it could be cheap overseas labor through, you know, work or something that they are doing a whole bunch of manual stuff and it, it works for them, whatever. But they're doing something about it already. And that cost of switching from something you know to something you don't know is mentally a huge hurdle. Everybody has to get over. And the sooner you do it, and the, the more you understand it and the more you understand the specifics of that hurdle, right? So it could, like, it could be, hey, have you been burnt before? Have you tried to switch in the past? Like just address it head on. And, and, well, yeah, because again, this is, this is one of the things where research is key to any of this. I mean, it's key to marketing in general, but for, for this framework to work, you have to understand the customers really, really deep. And it's that kind of, the emotional side of things, it's often missed, right? People talk about, you know, firmographics, demographics, and this, that, and the other. And a lot of people talk about, well, yeah, kind of the general concept of people buy with emotions and justify with logic. Yeah. But nobody really talks about, well, how, what do you do about that? At least most people don't talk about it. I think one of the best things you can do in, say, like a customer interview when you're trying to understand customers is ask a question like, hey, what was the last time you switched vendors? Or tell me about the last time you switched vendors for anything. It doesn't matter what it was. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get one or two answers. They're either going to tell you about the most amazing switch they've done or about the worst switch they've done. And in both, both are valuable. And what you want to do is then ask follow-ups. Okay, well, this was, if this was so great, what, tell me what, what was so great about it. What did, what did they do to make this an awesome switch? Now you know what, the, what good looks like. Right. And they said, just out of curiosity, well, have you ever had a bad one? Everyone's got one. Everybody has a story where they've gotten burnt. What made it so bad? Like what, what happened there? The, like if you can understand those things, you can now start addressing the, that cost of switching in your marketing, in your messaging, both on the marketing and the sales side. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And th th so what is it that, so you know what you're up against. Like for me, I ask people, have you ever worked in copywriter before? And almost everyone says yes. What happened? Did something go wrong? Sometimes nothing went wrong. It was just like, well, the person just isn't available anymore or, we, you know, whatever it was. But sometimes there's something very specific, like they didn't get the voice right or they didn't, know, they didn't, whatever it is. And then I dig into that. So I make sure I don't do that. And so it's the same with any other product or service. It's like, I remember switching from one software to another. And the thing that made me do it was that the new software company said, we will take all of your, yeah, we'll, we'll do all the, the re, I forget what the term is. <laughs> they took all my data and, 
and put it into theirs. And I know they regretted it because it was a huge, giant mess. And they kept coming back with me with questions. And this was years ago when I had a different business. But that was what made me switch to them. And I did stay with them for a while. But those sorts of things overcame for me the thought that I would have to put all this together and do it. And they knew in advance that this was a huge obstacle. So that's awesome. And so where do relationships come in? Just this is my last question. Just really, how does all this weave into relationships when it comes to making this sort of decision? Well, again, I think it goes back to what I was talking about. It's the, it's understanding those micro decision points and where you can and can't influence. So I talked about one, right? You can influence your effectiveness at getting over that initial skepticism, right? You have to understand what people are likely to be skeptical about. Right? Are they going to be skeptical about how quickly you can do something? Are they going to be skeptical about the ROI that you're promising? Are they going to be skeptical about the price? Are they going to be skeptical about whatever your expertise? What, what, there's a, depending on the business you're in, those are going to be, there's going to be different things that people generally or commonly become skeptical about. So you need to understand what those are to be able to address that up front. You can address that through marketing. You can address that through sales messaging at that point. You know, for example, on the marketing side, if you know what those are, let's assume they are skeptical about the speed at which you can have an impact. Well, you can have case studies and testimonials that focus on speed. You can have podcasts interviews that this that where you talk about how to do this faster you know you could have a an event that's focused on that maybe that's like the speed of implement software implementation whatever it is things like that and from a sales perspective it's using some of that same content for sales enablement it's having the messaging right to talk about it and just addressing it up front right so it's sort of like address the elephant in the room right away like hey I, you know what you jump in in the discovery, maybe once you know a little bit more about the business, before you even start talking about it, so like, hey, you know what? I know that there's probably some hesitation about how quickly can something just be implemented. Well, let me put your mind at ease by talking about X, Y, and Z first. Mm-hmm. So you just jump right into it before they even have the chance to think about it and ask the question. The other thing you can influence is you know, how you handle rejection, right? So again, at at that internal skepticism and the external questioning, somebody can pop out of your, of, of that journey, if you will, right? It's like, yeah, you know what? Not the right time, not interested, not, not top priority, whatever it is. What you want to focus on there is you want to go for a not now, right? No. And again, if you think back to the, the relationship journey, you're going to have positive experiences, you're going to have negative experiences, right? I'm sure like, you know, you think about it personally, at some point, I'm sure your husband did something like, oh my God, really? Right? It happens. I've, I've done stupid things in relationships, plenty. But hopefully the rest of it is good enough where you're like, okay, we're going to keep going. Right? So you want that kind of not now. And usually it's not now because not the right time, don't have budget commitment, don't have the right authority, don't have whatever it is. Right? Because if you have that, now you can keep the conversation going and still build the relationship. Right. And then, then at that point, your objective becomes, how do I get them excited again? Right. That could be inviting them in your podcast. That could be inviting them to speak at your event. It could be inviting them into your mastermind group. It could be co-creating some content with them, involving them in your industry research, whatever. A million different ways to do it. 
The other thing is you can influence the source of the relationship, right? So usually we trust our peers and friends, right? So if you think of it from a personal perspective, you know, you and your husband met online, my wife and I met online. However, we met online, but we, as it turned out, we had a, we had a number of people in common. She found that out. And before we went on our first date, she reaches out to her friend, Emily, and goes, hey, I want you to tell me everything you know about this guy. <laughs> right? And they did. They went out. And obviously, we're now married. It all went well. But that made her go, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I trust this. I'm going to go on this first date. Had that not happened, maybe she would have, maybe we would be having a very different conversation right now. <laughs> right? So that source of the relationship matters. And on the B2B side, this is where, it's about, I, can, I talk about like building the relationship pyramid. So you have your decision makers, everybody wants to go there, but then you have your internal influencers and external influencers. And then each of those has their teams, especially in larger organizations, and then their external influencers. So you want to build that entire pyramid because what you want ideally is a warm intro, right? So there's, there's ways to do that in marketing. There's ways to do that in sales, et cetera. And then that gets us into multi-threading, right? And if you think about earlier, we we're talking about the concept of different types of conversations. Well, you can multi-thread through advertising, for example. You can have some of your ad spend go a couple of levels down from your decision maker. So let's assume you're targeting the VP of R&D or the chief medical officer. Well, maybe you got to go after some biotech engineers. Mm-hmm at these set companies or something like that, right? And give them, show them more thought leadership stuff so that they trust the information source. And then they start sharing your content internally. Or maybe they mention, maybe they overhear a conversation. Oh, we're looking for a new vendor for blah, blah. Oh, hey, you should talk to so-and-so. Either the person or the brand, right? So things like that. And then there's, you know, there's also things you can't control. And I think it's just as important as a thing, or not control, but influence, which is, I think, just as important, if not more important to understand as the ones that you can. No. The, one of the main ones is that time between skepticism and questioning. You can't control that. That can happen in 30 seconds, right? So someone, let's assume you do a, you do a demo. And as soon as you bought that demo, and maybe you only had one person on that demo, they're in their mind going to go, huh, not so sure about this. And right away, they pop a message in a Slack, hey, team, I just had this comment. I just had this demo with so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? Right? You can't control how quickly that. Or it might take months or years. Right? It, it just depends on how big of a priority it is, all sorts of factors. Right. right? Which gets us into, you can't control their priorities. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how often I see this try to happen is people try to force you can try to explain how, what you offer, your solution or your service or product fits into and supports one of their priorities, but you can't get them to add a new priority. Like if you're talking to a VP or even the CMO or the CTO or whatever, they've got their stuff handed down from the board and from the CEO. These priorities are set. You're not going to convince them. Like the likelihood of you convincing them to add a new priority onto the list to displace another, not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen, right? So understanding what those typical priorities are. And then I already kind of mentioned this, but you can't control what stage someone decides to contact you at. It's the other, like people try to map, like, oh, well, at this stage, this gets handed over to sales. And at this stage, we're going to do this kind of, this type of content. Like, 
Now, you don't, you just don't know what, what's going to influence, what's going to actually get somebody excited at what stage mm-hmm. and at what stage you're going to set to reach out to. Like the example I, I, I think that I give is I've reached out to people to sales right away in instances where the convenience of just, you know what, I don't want to bother looking for information. It's an insanely busy time. I know I need to solve this problem. I heard about you. I just want to talk to somebody. Like, I don't, I don't care the information. I don't care that the pricing's on your site. It doesn't matter. Just, just talk to me. I want to know in 15 minutes whether you can do what I need. I don't want to do my room. On the flip side, sometimes I have more time and I don't want to waste my time talking to somebody and being sold to. And I'd rather take it slow. You don't know what, what preference, and that preference could differ based on you know, what stage of the organization they're in, who the person is, what else is going on in their life, like all sorts of stuff. Deadline. Um, they have something. Yeah, immediately they're immediate. Exactly. And the last thing you can't influence is how people actually make their decisions. Like you could kind of give them maybe another criteria to consider, but you can't make them change it. Not very likely. It's no different than having them add another priority. It's like you usually have a set of criteria they're going to evaluate you on and that's it. So the best you could do is understand what those are rather than try to add a new one. Right. Yeah. And especially as, uh, you know, speaking as myself as an outsider, I don't, I don't even know within a company, the conversations that are going on. And so I, you know, I often hear, well, the team said this, and sometimes the team isn't like I get involved in their marketing team once I'm in there, but until I'm in that spot, I don't know what meetings they're having, what they're saying, you know? So it's even more out of my control at this point. Well, this has been really interesting. I really appreciate you gave a lot of great advice. Where can people find you and find out more about your company? Best place would be on LinkedIn, Mike Grinberg. And then we do have a marketing podcast called The Master Marketer Show. So feel free to check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Yep. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it valuable. And if you did and you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with friends and business associates who may find it of interest as well. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn or you can reach out to me through my website at thecopyworks.com and we'll talk to you soon.